Broadcasting live from the offices of policebackground.net. This is the Police Applicant Podcast with your host, Ken Royball. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Police Applicant Podcast. This is episode 52. 52, and I want to welcome back our long-lost co-host, Minerva. <laughs> I know. I've been a little bit MIA. I apologize to our listeners and to Ken and to Donovan, who's Donovan. done a great job covering up for me. Yeah, Donovan's been a, doing a good job. And you look amazing. I saw some videos of you. Of You were like working out in your garage and oh my gosh. doing all that P90X or whatever it is that you do that I just makes my face grimace. But you look very sunshiny today. Thank you. I got two workouts in and two weeks ago and I haven't been able to work out because I'm busy, again. Right. but not as busy as before. And I did take some time off. So I got I had a chance to sleep, catch up on my sleep yeah. and catch up with my kids and just rest. Yeah, You look yeah. so much more relaxed and everything. I'm very glad to see that. Um, Thank you. Again, we are at episode 52. Uh, just want to let the our listeners know, you know, it's so funny what last time uh Last time we did an episode, I think it was with um, with Donovan, and uh, and I said we're at you know this many. Um, I said I said we were at um, 50, 50 episodes, fifty episodes, and then I said close to a hundred. <laughs> Later on, I listened to it and go, how did I get close to a hundred out of fifty? So maybe just. I want to get close to just 100. Just multiply by two and you'll be at 100. <laughs> <laughs> we are at, we're at episode 52. Um, and uh, this, um, this, as of today, today, uh, we are at 92,000 downloads. Uh, nice. And so that's, that's a lot of listenings uh, for us. And we want to thank you guys. Also, I want to thank our uh, monthly donors and those who donated throughout the year. We have our bills coming up this year to pay for the studio, and uh, we've got that fully, fully uh, funded. So I'm really happy. Nice. Thank you, guys. And if you have not, uh, the last thing, I, <coughs> excuse me, the last thing I have to say is the last episode we did was a legacy podcast with Ben Kelly of Seattle Police Department. Um, from 2010. So if you get a chance to listen to that, this is the very last episode. That was 51. So without further mm -hmm. ado, we want to get into this episode. I am so excited for our <laughs> guest to be here today because um, I asked uh, I asked around. <clears throat> we want to do an episode on FTOs, field training officers, the training, the training officers, those people who are charged with taking young recently graduated recruits out of the academy and making them police officers. And I put the mm -hmm. word out. Donovan was one of the first that got back to me. He says, I have somebody who you need to interview. Her name is Julie. <laughs> She's from a, uh, a small department in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, basically what Donovan conveyed to me is that Julie's just a badass. She is a <laughs> badass cop and training officer. And I said, I want to interview her. And I spoke to her earlier this week. And then I, I, I just said, Minerva is going to love you. She is so cool. <laughs> Minerva, she's Julie. We're already talking and I had to tell her, <laughs> wait, wait, wait till we start recording. Oh, you yeah. need to get a cup of coffee sometime. You need to come visit. <laughs> so I want to uh, welcome you, Julie, to the podcast. We're really excited to have you here and we appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
So uh, Minerva, and I, and I also, when I spoke to Julie Minerva, I said, oh, I know how this is going to go. This is, you guys are going to, you're going to talk about old school coppers and, and uh, we're going to have a little, uh, Julie's got a great take on, on uh, the female aspect of uh, policing. And I said, I'm just going to sit back. I'll do the little sound. I'll That's just, awesome. I'll just mind I my wish own I would have met you sooner. You could have, I, I, I actually did an episode just for females <laughs> and you probably, you would have been a great fit. Oh, well, girl, I'm going to give you my number after this. And we can always do another one. Definitely. Yeah. And Minerva, I do want you to know, Julie has already put out that she wants to get together with you for a coffee. So, yes, yes. I was just up there. So refreshing. It's like, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, next time, next time. (laughs) So we're going to figure it out. We're going to talk about the FTO program today. Some of the things, and we're going to go back in time. Back in time with uh, Julie. So, Julie, tell us about yourself, your bio, your college, your how you got into police work. Well, I've been a police officer slash detective for 25 years with my agency. Just completed my 25th year. Um, not originally what I had planned on doing. Um, I was originally going to be a lawyer. I did pre-law and psychology, and when I graduated with that, which my my father was very excited about, um, he was an immigrant and had an eighth grade education, so he the fact that his daughter wanted to be a lawyer was just, he was very excited about it. After I graduated, I realized, wow, this is really boring, and it's not what I thought it was, it's not about really justice prevailing. It's about who can play the game better. And I realized I just don't think this is for me. I had kind of always, um, I grew up on a dairy farm, um, out in the middle of nowhere. I was a tomboy, you know, kind of half and half, you know, drill team, but, but really a tomboy, you know, working out in the fields with my father, um, shooting a gun for the first time at seven in the middle of a cornfield. It had kind of always interested me, but it wasn't really, you know, I'm not that old, but it's still, you know, 25 years ago. I mean, there wasn't, you know, not like today where, you know, we have a lot of women, but when I realized, yeah, I just, I can't, I just don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I I actually, the first person I told that to was the head of the law department at my university. And he actually laughed at me Hmm. (laughs) and said, yeah, I just don't see that. Uh, working out for you, stick to being a lawyer. Why? And wow. Why would he say that? I'm like, well, that's a really good question. I don't know. And it really uh, pissed me off. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm pretty stubborn. Um, when somebody tells me I can't do something, it's kind of a motivator for me. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I can't do this. I don't know because I haven't done it yet, but I'm sure going to try. And at least I can say, I'll never look back and say, what if, you know? Um, And so I went for it and here I am 25 years later. Yeah. That was kind of (laughs) rude on his part. Um, It was rude. And the important part though, is I was so afraid to tell my dad because I didn't want him disappointed in me. And I knew how excited he was. And I said, you know, dad, I go, I just, I remember just so scared to tell him and he goes, then do it. And that was his answer. Then do it. Wow. He knew I could do it. Um, he goes, 
go for it. And then he would tell all of his little coffee buddies, you know, <laughs> he would never say never once did I hear from him. My daughter's going to try to be a police officer. It was my daughter is going mm-hmm. to be a police officer. And unfortunately he died a year before it happened. So oh. he never got to see it huh. come to fruition, but yeah, but yeah he knew it. He you know, cares what, about that professor. But <laughs> I started in uh, 1980 and I think LAPD had just uh, started transitioning to um, to female officers in the field in about '77. I want to say so. When I came on, it was still there were still some old curmudgeons that women shouldn't be on the job and all this kind of stuff. So that was kind of like the way it was back then. But 25 years ago, by the time 25 years ago came, it should have been well a well respected fact. Yeah, well, and I, I don't want to say it wasn't, it was like highly unusual. That's, I don't think that's the case, but I think maybe because our agency, it was a brand new agency and it was started with veteran officers from across the United States. So most of those officers were the starting their career in 1980 era. So it wasn't, the mentality you know, that wasn't a was lot. old school. Right. It was the old, old school mentality. Yeah. So I think. That was kind of the difference. Was the professor um, a retired police officer? Yes. That's that's yeah. usually the professors, the, the criminal justice professors. The old, old school, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, well that's kind of and a bummer. Even, he, I, I just want to, he even checked in because a really close friend of mine, son, they were on the same baseball team, and he would ask her, is she really still doing that? And she's like, yeah. She And he goes, and he would tell her, Never in a million years did I see that. So. I want to say something. Yeah, I yeah. feel like a lot of females who are in law enforcement, we have that mentality that if you tell us we can do it, we're going to prove you that wrong. You know, yes. and that's just a personality trait. It's not, you know, it's, yeah. you kind of have to have a certain type of personality to do this job. Exactly. And yes. I will say this, that most of my friends who are in law enforcement and, you know, people that we've interviewed or I've come across, we have that. You tell me mm-hmm. I can't do it. Let me show you that I can. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> game on. Okay, exactly. <laughs> yes. I totally agree. I think it's a personality trait and. I proved him wrong. I get what yeah. you're saying because I, I think I've spoke to you about this, uh, Minerva. When I <clears throat> when I um, first got on the job, I was working, excuse me, <clears throat> as a security guard, and my 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 lieutenant, she uh, she failed the PAT. She couldn't get on the job uh, on LAPD because she couldn't get over the wall. That was, and she's pretty pissed off about it. So when I got hired, she goes, "You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it," and I'm. I'm like, what the heck? And so every time I felt like it was the academy was getting difficult, I remember she said, you're not going to make it. And that, that right. pushed me to finish that academy. So I get what yeah. you're saying. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, I had in the academy, in the LAPD academy, my squat leader one time told me, you don't belong here. Oh, I've heard and that I a couple was, times. Yeah, he told me that. <laughs> and this is what back in 1999, so 23 years ago. And he was like, you don't belong here. And I was like, I don't know who the F you think you are, but you don't get to tell me whether I belong is, here or not. I go, so get used to yeah. seeing my face over here. I heard that in the Academy. I've got lots of those stories. And I said the exact same thing you did. Exactly. Yeah. I, well, after he put his finger on my chest, telling me I didn't belong there. And I'm like, either you can remove that finger 
or I'm going to do it for you. And don't ever talk to me like that. again." <laughs> he would have had a yeah. broken finger. <laughs> it's funny yeah. because, uh, because a lot of, uh, not to get into the whole history because we know about this, that the discrimination, all that kind of stuff, we know that that occurred, but yeah. I don't think most people in 2022, because because of the way the female officers have paved the way for for the female mm-hmm. officers today, I don't think that those that the the applicants today know what had to be done and what battles had to yeah. be won to get to mm-hmm. where they go. Hey, come and join us because it was not like that, no. uh, yeah. you know, years ago. I completely agree. Um, I hope and not. I, I hope lot. not, though. Yeah, I don't exactly. I would hope that we've come a ways from that. Yeah. You know, but, but they don't, I I saw that a lot training. They just have no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Minerva and I look at the stats. We we watch the stats. Uh, I keep, I keep track of what's going on in police hiring uh, in the news and with departments. And then we put out uh, a, a special female, an episode for females. And just, uh, just as, a uh, matter of, of uh, I don't know what, how, what I'm trying to say. The way it is, female female so, candidates just don't apply in large numbers. A matter of fact. <laughs> it's been hard because, like, you know, I've mentioned in the past, I work recruitment for my agency when I was sworn. And it was always hard to recruit females. Um, even our listeners, we have, what, is it 10% is females of our listeners? Less than that. So, Right. It's usually about 10 percent of females in a law enforcement agency. It's usually kind of like the 10 percent and just across the board in different categories. Right. And um, I just hope that we can motivate more women to join because they can do this job. And the more women are in there, the more people are going to get used to it. I mean, things have come a long way and I am happy for that. Uh, But we still have more ways to go. There's Um, there's still a ways to go. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And I, I do want to get into this one thing because Julie mentioned something. I think we got the right person for this episode. <laughs> Julie, uh, uh, was it two years ago you were honored as uh, as training officer, field training officer of the year? Yes. And tell us about yes. that. Now, was that nationwide? Was that? Actually, that was last year. Last, last year. year. Sorry. So tell yes, us. that was nationwide. That was wow, nationwide. Thank you. Yeah, I was, it was, it was a real, it was a real honor. Um, I was nominated for it by one of our lieutenants here that um, has been involved with the FTA program his entire career and ended up, he wrote a big um, summary of, of why he was nominating me. And yeah, it was, it was really nice. It was a huge honor um, to get that because you know, I mean, through your career, you always get like, you know, as a detective, um, you know, you get awards for, oh, you filed the most felony cases of the year. And, you know, some of those, you know, thank you, but I just did my job type things like, mm-hmm. you know, not that it doesn't really mean anything, but but that one, I, you know, I, I have to say, like, it, I was really proud of that. That was that was a really nice honor to get. That's really um, cool. So congratulations yeah. on that. I think I think we got Thank the right you. FTO for this episode, Minerva. Yes. So I agree. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> so one thing I always I always 
another, you know, I hate to say this, Minerva, but we did chat for a while, Julie and I did, and we were talking <laughs> about, about old school stuff. But one thing I do enjoy with Minerva and some of our other guests is just talking to old school coffers. And so, um, you know, oh, it's so refreshing. It <laughs> is. It is. Uh, and so we uh, we talk about academies a lot. Minerva and I, you know, the listeners, you can't you can't see our faces when we when we talk. But when someone says something, <clears throat> I'm going to be I'm going to be clearing my throat <laughs> throughout this thing. It's just, it's wintry time. Um, it's OK. I might be wiping my nose. I know it's, it's cold. <laughs> and uh, we talk about this all time, all the time. And so we're in a we're in a video uh, in the studio, it's video. And so <clears throat> we talk about uh, the academies and Minerva and I make faces whenever we hear anything <laughs> about, about, um, college style, college academies. style academies. And so no I, PT. yeah, <laughs> no PT, yes. no PT and all these types of things. And nobody's in anybody's faces yelling and all that. And, I, and we're like, what the heck is going on here? And so tell us about the Academy 25 years ago, because I want to hear about that. Oh, wow. Well, um, I think I uh, actually going into it, um, like I said, I grew up, you know, a farm girl work, you know, I did everything the boys did. I, you know, I think I was a little, well, I was naive going into it um, because, you know, growing up the way I did in a tiny little town, with my father that, you know, I, I was driving a tractor at the age of seven. I did, I, you know, bailing hay. I did all these things that the boys did and was never told, Oh, you know, that's girls don't do that. It was just my way of living. So I think that I was, you know, a little naive thinking that it might be a little different for me. And it was very different for me. (laughs) It was, um, a rude awakening of, you know, I was told going in, um, you know, I came from over the other side of the state when I, when I graduated from college, so I went from one side of the state to, to the other, which that was shocking in itself. And the chief set me down and said, you know, Hey, um, I want to say there was only one other female at the time. Maybe there were two, I, I don't remember, but they were just, a couple of us in in a a department of at least a hundred sworn and said, Hey, we'll do whatever it takes to get you through. And I go, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't really understand. And he said, well, if you need like extra help with anything (laughs) in so many words, we want a female. And I said, well, sir, with all due respect, if I can't do this on my own, I shouldn't be here. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, in my academy class, there were two other females. Um, I was the only one that ultimately made it in the end. Mm-hmm. And I got my nose broken in the academy by one of my classmates. I was told I don't belong there. Um, one actually after an optional morning workout <laughs> run, he was earlier that day he had been struggling with the run. And so I, I held back and said, I'll run with you, you know, I'll, I'll run with you. And he looked at me because I don't need some stupid girl to run with me. And I'm like, okay. And I took off <laughs> and it. finished it. And yeah, I may have said a couple other things. Um, and then at the end of the day, he caught me in the parking lot and he put his finger on my 
you know, my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And so I don't care who you are. I don't care how fast you run. You don't belong here. And I said, you give me one damn good reason why I don't belong here because what I've seen, I shoot better than you. I run faster than you. I go, you can't even run to save your own life, let alone someone else's. Mm. You give me one damn good reason why I don't belong here and I'll listen. And if you don't remove that finger, I'm going to remove it for you. And I later, I think it was like maybe a couple weeks later is when I got my nose broken by the same individual in an accident during a training exercise called the gauntlet. I don't know if you guys did that. Um, what is that? I, what is it? The gauntlet. It's where it they spin you around and get you disoriented. And then they make you go through a maze. And then at the end, you fight a, a big, large dummy while you're uh, one of the classmates holds a dummy. Hmm. Well, I was holding the dummy for his and somehow he missed the dummy and punched me right in the face. And I ran to the bathroom and I, I can't believe to this day I did this makes me cringe thinking back to it, but I saw my nose completely crooked. And if I were to be totally honest, some of it was vanity. <laughs> I'm like, oh, hell no, this thing getting stuck like this. And I reset it myself. And I went back in and I didn't tell anybody. I finished another round of the exercise and then I almost passed out. Oh my <laughs> and word. They, made me, they made me go to the hospital. And then when I was at the hospital, you know, I was, I was in so much pain by that point. Um, they had one of my classmates take me and, you know, in the Academy, I don't know if you guys had your last name on your shirt. Yes. Of course, right. I blood all over my, <laughs> and he thought I was a domestic violence victim. Oh my! <laughs> He's like, sweetie, who did this to you? And I'm like, you know what? I'm like, so it was, <laughs> yeah. Memories. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting times. Like it was, I, I guess I was, I was naive because I didn't struggle with any topic in the academy. I didn't struggle with the academics. I didn't struggle with shooting. I didn't struggle with driving. I didn't struggle with any of that stuff. So I, I was so shocked that like I'm proving it. Why, why are they treating me like I can't do this because I've shown that I'm doing it better than a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And that I was naive to that. I, I couldn't understand why that was happening. Did you ever? So, oh, good. Was your academy like a, a stress academy? It sounds like it might have um, been. Well, back then, maybe not. Yes. I mean, it was paramilitary. Um, I'm sure there were some like LAPD. I'm sure it was worse. I One of my best friends went through the LAPD academy and it sounded like it was probably more, a little bit more stressful than ours. But back then, yeah, it, it was. I mean, they screamed at you. You if you carried your lunch tray in your gun hand, guess what? Your lunch is all over the floor. They'd slap it right mm -hmm. out of your hand. Um, we had the fight for life. We had, which I had to do with a broken nose. They, they actually had to have a meeting to see if I could even continue, which thank God I could. Um, the fight for life where the ambulance would stand by. Um, tell, us, tell us about that. Know. I don't know what the fight for life is. Oh, fight for life. So what that was, was towards the end of the academy it was kind of one of your final exams per se. And they would have you, cause they wanted to try to mimic, you know, what it mentally would feel like to be in a fight for your life. And it was all about just not mentally giving up because right. I mean, we were in there with two like pro boxers or, pro, you know, wrestlers, or there was no way that we could physically overcome them, but it was the point of the exercise was to, 
never give up. Yeah. Your mental. It was a mental mental exercise. Yeah. It was a mental exercise. And lots of, they would actually have an ambulance stand by because so there would be broken ribs, there would be, you know, all broken bones, um, which is why eventually it went away. Departments were tired of having officers out on injuries. (laughs) (laughs) So you had to do that before you graduate. And I, you know, I'm not small. I mean, thankfully I like, you know, I'm not a small girl and really tall. I've got broad shoulders. I have a, you know, pretty big stature and I had to do it with a broken nose. I remember they just told the instructors like, okay, just her face is off limits. Everything else is fair game. And I remember, um, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember immediately getting punched in the stomach with the air being knocked out of me and just the longest three minutes of my life. Three minutes. It's a long time for a fight. Mm -hmm. Sounds like fight club. (laughs) I mean, I was airborne at one point. I'm like, I am not little. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had what was called Red Man, and I don't know if you had that, Ken. No, they never Red Man. Red Man. Yeah, right. It's like that. yeah. They have the instructors, and actually, when I went through the LAPD Academy, we had an instructor who was like a black belt in like five different martial arts, mm-hmm. and he was the one who would put the suit like a you know, all this like padded suits and yeah, you had to fight him and then you had to go fight somebody else and you had to go fight somebody else. And Mm -hmm. it's exhausting. It's Mm -hmm. very exhausting, but it is a mental thing. It's about not giving up, right? You're tired. You're barely even touching. Mm -hmm. You're barely swing your arms or whatever, but it's all about your mental fortitude of not giving up. That's the exercise. Yeah, and Julie, exactly. you you uh, describe what Minerva and I talk about all the time because the our 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 belief that there should be stress academies is based on the fact that if you don't press people in the academy when they get in the in the street, especially in twenty twenty two. Especially in 2022, yeah. where people will just pull a gun on you and start shooting at you because and you cannot lay in the street being shot as a police officer and go, oh, I'm so hurt. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. No. If you don't stress them in the academy to get into that mindset um, that you are going to survive any encounter that you come up against, then, um, you know, where are you? You can't just go, okay, you're in the police car now. Oh, someone's shooting at you. Let's start now. Yep, exactly. So you can't do it in a, in a controlled environment. And, you know, that's where, that's where they would find out that's, you know, in a controlled environment and people would find out, you know what, I just don't really think this is for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you don't have that and you can't really get a glimpse of what this career is going to hold in a controlled environment, and then you experience it out in the real environment, then yeah, that's where, you know, a lot of them fall apart. Yeah. Right. Or you could lose your life or your partner, you know, and somebody yeah, may God lose forbid, life. It, it may be too late. Right. Period. Yeah. Af- after you get out of the academy is not the time to start stressing people and see if they can hang. No. That is not no. the time. You know, when no. it- <laughs> <laughs> we're all cringy, we're all like no. shaking our no. heads. Like, no. <laughs> so you better toughen up because, um, because mm-hmm. nowadays there's a lot of academies that are moving towards this as, as one of our friends, Clay, in uh in tennessee he's a he's a swat <laughs> captain he calls it uh what do he call it um a gentleman's academy a gentleman's academy 
<laughs> we're seeing it. He's yeah, old school too, though. Oh, he's super old school. Yeah, him and I are 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 contemporaries. But uh, yeah, I, I we just can't talk about it enough. If you if every episode somebody brought up the Academy, Minerva and I would be like it was brand new to us. Oh, not stress. Oh. I was shocked when I would go to the academy to watch my students in their mock scenes to see. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, you know, it explained a lot of the problems that we were seeing. I'm like, you're just fresh out of the academy. Why are we seeing these things? Mm-hmm. And we quickly learned why that was happening. You know, Ken, I haven't been to an academy like in a long time because I've been retired just over 10 years now. And then I worked uh, recruitment. Uh, or backgrounds, recruitment, personnel from 2007 to 2009. And then I went back when I was light duty for about a year. So towards the end of my career, 2011, 2012. But I would like to go, you know, I'm not too far from the Rio Hondo Academy. I think I'm going to reach out to them and kind of say, hey, you know, I do this podcast, like just want to sit through. Plus, I'm a graduate from there. That's where I graduated the academy. And I just would like to sit one day through the academy to see how it is there. Because when I went there, it was a stress academy. I found it to be more stressful than LEPD. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how they are now. So I may do that. And if I do that, I'm going to do a little recording, an episode, <laughs> special episode of what my experience was. Well, like. let me know. You, re- oh, good. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Recently, um, I was asked to assist with... Um, helping grade some mock scenes because they were short instructors. Are mock scenes scenarios or what are those? Moxie, yeah, I'm sorry. Scenario exercises, okay. you know, various to see what they'll do. Um, and I could not believe, I mean, myself and another old school instructor, we're just kind of joking around with, with, I mean, we, all these people with facial hair and these big long ponytails. And I'm what? like, what, what is happening? I'm like, wait, these I are the recruits. Her. These are the recruits. And, and we were giving feedback and, and my other, my coworker who was also instructing with me, he was teasing the guy like, Oh wow. Something about his facial hair. And he snapped back at him. Like, it's allowed in my agency. It does not affect how I do my job. And I'm like, whoa, wow. whoa, did you seriously just talk to him like that? Yeah. And yeah, they, they, a couple people that didn't like the feedback. I mean, they snapped back and I'm like, sorry, I can't do that again. Not acceptable in any way, shape or form. And how is this allowed? I just, my mind was blown. I think, yeah. Ken, didn't you post a picture of a CHP <laughs> officer with the man bun in uniform? Oh, they were man buns and they were all <laughs> oh. kind of, If I remember, I'll send oh. you the photos. It was uh, one had a man bun, one had, um, uh, I don't know, just all, just the, the hairstyles. I mean, it's, it, whatever. It's, it's, I just think that it just looks unprofessional with some of these, yeah, some totally of these things. But didn't you post like, isn't there a law that was it a law? I don't know if it's across the United States or if it's just in California where you can't tell them how to have their hair or yeah. how they. So is it just in California? California. Or was it? It's California. It's called something California. respect, <laughs> respect for respect for hair styles like grooming, grooming like a stuff grooming. like that. But I remember I, losing hair because my hair would be put up so so tightly because if one little strand hit my collar during that weekly inspection it was game on and of course you can't like no matter all the aquanet in the world and as tight (laughs) as i would wrap it 
you know. Yeah, because they didn't allow, I don't know about you, but they didn't allow females to wear bobby pins because according to them, if we got in a fight, it could like Mm -hmm. penetrate our skull. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then like if you wore like Aquanet, that's old school. We're really dating ourselves (laughs) The Aquanet. (laughs) We probably made a hole in the ozone layer with all that Aquanet. (laughs) But, you know, when you start sweating and it goes in your eyes, it burns. (laughs) It does burn. But you had to, you have, you have, your hair had to be like perfect, right? Throughout Mm -hmm. the whole day. And it's like, but you can't wear bobby pins. You can't wear anything on your hair, but the ponytail or whatever you had to pull it up. So that was hard for females. I chopped off my hair in the Academy. I have a picture. I'll send it to, to Ken. I look like a dude and I didn't care because I just wanted to get through the Academy, but I did not want to deal with my hair. I, I should have chopped mine off, but I have natural curly hair that I straighten, so it's really not a good look for me. But they would use me for the hair hold examples all the time. Yeah, you know, because I was really the only one that had hair. But but I remember that that was a chore, just trying to to get it to stay. Yeah, <laughs> Minerva looked like a little and boy. <laughs> I did. I I did. I totally did. And because as soon as they said no bobby pins, no this, no that. I was like, forget it. I'm chopping it off. I, I right? just what are you gonna I went. Do? And then, I, unfortunately, I didn't even go with someone who styled it. They just literally chopped it off. <laughs> it looked horrible. But I, in my mind, I was like, you know what? This is going to grow. I just want to get through the academy. Exactly. I don't you just care. had to do what you had to do. Exactly. That's, that was the mentality. Yeah. 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 Um, so the academy. Uh, yeah. And, and so when you go look at some of these academies today, they're just um, they're very soft. Uh, they're mm-hmm. very, I don't know. Uh, that would be a that would be a whole. We should just do, we should just do an episode, episode, on, whole episode that, yeah. on Academy rants and just talk about academies. Oh so, my god, so true. But and and so your academy is pretty hardcore. You were just like uh, you're kicking each other's asses in the academy. <laughs> and tell you know what I'm dying to find out though, Julie. Did you ever have you ever followed up? Or did you ever follow up with this bully, this clown that was uh, harassing you? You know, I never, did I, oh, I never did. He was from an agency pretty far away from me and I never, yeah, I never did. Mm. I don't know what happened to him. We should Googly him and (laughs) Right. You know, what was interesting about that? Just a side note is, and I never, of course, I never complained to anybody. I didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. I I can handle, I'm like, I always have the mentality. If I can't handle that myself, I have no business doing this. Like, I don't need to run and tell anybody oh, I'm being mistreated. Like that's kind of life. I was raised that way. You know what? I think I learned it when I was five. Life ain't fair. Um, <laughs> if I can't handle, you know, some little bit of bullying, then I have no business doing this. But when I graduated, one of the instructors pulled me aside and said, Hey, you know, we saw that um, because at our Academy, there's kind of like their officers. It was kind of like a fishbowl. They, it was all windows mm. So they, I didn't know that anybody saw it, but of course he couldn't hear, but he saw the little bit of, you know, (laughs) the finger, the, you know, us kind of face to face and said, you know, we were waiting for you to come in and tell us, you know, I need to make a complaint and, and you never did that. And I go, well, why would I do that? I go that, that was a nothing. Like if I can't, handle that myself. Mm-hmm. I don't need to run and go tell my teacher. <laughs> and he said that was really, that really impressed us. And I'm like, but I'm like, why is that so shocking? Like that's, 
Isn't that how kind of anybody else would have handled it? Like, I don't know. I, I don't. You know, I don't, it wasn't I don't, that. Good. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just to me, that wasn't as super significant incident that he was shocked that, you know, I wouldn't say something. Yeah. And I don't know what the rules were 25 years ago. I actually can't remember, but um, certainly in 2022, if something like that happened, people would just lose their minds. Uh, if they, oh, yeah. they would just fire the person and all kinds of things. But on the mm-hmm. one hand, on the one hand, you had every right to say, Hey, this, this guy's an idiot. He's, you know, he's, he's doing this stuff. You had a right to do that. On the mm-hmm. other hand, the other part of it is that the fact that you didn't do it is uh, speaks volumes to me because when you, you were the type of person that would go in the field during the riots and, and you're not going to go, Hey Sarge, this guy, he, this guy over there, he called me a pig and it really, really hurt my feelings. And I think <laughs> I need to go home now. You know, you, that yeah. was not you. How effective would I have been if I'm going to get my feelings yeah. hurt? You just easy. can't have thin skin in this job. No. You, you, no. you can't let people get under your skin. Like I tell people, yeah. I pretty much don't have feelings, so that just makes it easy. It's <laughs> 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 sort of a joke. But, well, yeah. you you actually you have to turn off. You can't you have to turn off your emotions because because on the yeah. one hand, people are going to be calling you names all the time in police work. Uh, and, and I uh, have been. On yeah. the other hand, on the other hand, you're, there's going to be stuff that you're just going to want it. You're you're you would like to clench your fist and clock somebody, but you cannot. Oh, yes. I cannot. You, you got to be cannot. able to restrain yourself. Yeah, you have to be mm-hmm. professional, and you can't let your emotions get the best of you. So the fact that you can check out and not take things personally and not react to all that stuff is very important. Very important. And I think yeah. I, I think you, you mentioned this before, uh, Ken, that that for me is part of the reason why I believe in stress academies, because you learn to do that, right? People mm-hmm. getting in your face, yelling at you. And, and like I said, Julie, in a controlled environment, I can't even imagine what it would be like to work in a riot situation where people are throwing things at you and, you know, and you're going to be soft about it. Yeah. So, yeah, you can't yeah. have that mentality. No, not at all. So our advice to you, if you're listening to this podcast, and Julie, we were talking a couple episodes ago that the people that listen to this podcast are the ones that are seriously, they want to be police officers. They're not ones that are just thinking about it. They woke up one day and said, I'm tired of McDonald's. I think I'm going to go apply to police officer. (laughs) They're not those guys. The the people that listen to this are hardcore applicants. And uh, we will tell you this right now. I think between the three of us, the the advice that we give you is that if you're so, if you're thin skinned, it's just Minerva hit the nail on uh, on the head. That if you're thin skinned, do not apply. Do not no, apply because no. the job will eat you up. It will mm-hmm. eat you alive. Yeah. yeah. So and it's okay. I've always said with every student I have, it's okay to say at any point. I have nothing but respect for that. Hey, you know what? I just don't think this is for me. There is no shame in that. Yeah. None. Yeah. But if you have, yeah, if you have thin skin, this is not the profession for you. Even in 2022, it's just not. End of story. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ken. I was just going to say it. And and we're not saying that, that you can't you can't be a police officer and have emotions and things because you're going to see things no, that are going to bother you. So mental health is a big deal. We're, we're not mm-hmm. talking about that. We're just talking right. about strictly someone says something mean to you or, or training's hard. 
that just don't fold if you if you think you're going to fold because it gets too hard that's not that's not what i'm talking about go, go ahead yeah. yeah no i just wanted to say if before i i wasn't sure we were moving on to the next to- next topic but before we move on um before we started recording you had mentioned that before you became a police officer you had done a civilian position with law enforcement and i kind of wanted you to get into that before we start moving more into the field training part of it Give us a little background on that. Sure. Yeah. So when I when I decided I'm not going to law school and bored out of my mind, I and I am like, no, you know what? I, I think I I'm serious about testing to become a police officer, but I wanted to do it. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't like didn't have this picture in my head of like, oh, this would be so great. Like I could do traffic stops. I could do all this fun stuff. Like I wanted to be realistic about it mm-hmm. and kind of get in the middle of it and go on ride alongs. And s- before I just kind of jumped headfirst into it to, s- to see, okay, is this really something I want to give a go? And that's what I did. I worked a um, year, a little over a year in a small police department and went on ride alongs. And a lot of those guys took me under their wing and, and, you know, one of them who um, he's a total badass SWAT narcotics detective who is like my big brother to this day and I he was kind of the same way that my father was he's like you can do this like he supported me he again throughout my entire career just was my biggest cheerleader and um I could go on ride-alongs with him and you know run things by him and and I'm like yeah I'm gonna go for this like you know if I go for it and fail so be it. But at least I won't look back and wonder, like, right. I should have at least tried. And what did you do? I, what, what was the position that you worked as? Uh, oh, in the, as a civilian? I just Correct. worked in their records. Actually, it's funny because the only position that was open, it was a part-time filing position. And I remember interviewing for it. And they didn't want to hire me. And they're like, well this is a part-time like <laughs> filing position. Why do you want this? Like you're kind of a little overqualified for it. And I'm like, no, you know, I, you know, I was honest with them. Like I, I'm really interested in this field. I, I know that, you know, I kind of just want to get in the environment and see what it's all about. And um, right. thankfully, thankfully they gave me that chance and you know, and then when this, my police department was formed, my boss from that position says, Hey, you know, we hate to lose her, but you got to hire this girl. She's going to test with you. And she's the one that encouraged me to, um, to go for it. And that's what I did. And I remember my friends telling me, you're nuts. Why would you take a part-time, like just filing? That's all it was. (laughs) And why would you do that? Like, that's crazy. And it wasn't crazy because I don't know if I'd be here, you know, today. Right. Well, they were seeing the bigger picture. You really wanted to see whether the environment, law enforcement career was what's going to be for you. So it wasn't just about the part-time pay, which most people would kind of, you know, get stuck on, which most people sounds like they did. But for you, it was more to get your foot in the door, see if this is really what you wanted to do without fully committing to going sworn. Right. Cause I, I mean, I think like a lot of us in law enforcement, I'm very type a, 
when I was talking, but I really, (laughs) very shocking, right? Very meticulous about, I'm, you know, not just jumping and not that, you know, there's great benefits to those personalities too. Um, but I'm very careful. Like, you know, I kind of very careful and and start small and like, okay, I want to be smart about this and kind of get an idea of what I may be looking at kind of, you know, a realistic viewpoint instead of the one I had in my head to see, you know, if it, if it's something I really wanted to do and give it, cause I knew it would take a lot of effort and hard. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm not a person that enjoys failing, which is not necessarily a good trait, but sometimes I think maybe some things came really easy to me and this was scary because this might not. And right. I think I was kind of used to a lot of things coming easy to me and it scared me mm-hmm. to the point where I, was probably trying to talk myself out of it because what if I fail? Oh my gosh. Like I don't like failing. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. So I wanted to, I want to bring two points. One, I can totally relate to um, that fear of failing, but Mm -hmm. then pushing, challenging yourself to continue moving forward. Right. Because otherwise, how are you going to grow as a person realistically? And how are you going to really know that this is for you? And the second thing, the reason why I really wanted you to kind of hit on this is because I want our listeners to know that there are other opportunities of going into law enforcement, law enforcement, civilian opportunities where Mm -hmm. you can really get if you're kind of on the fence as to whether this is what you want to do. It gives you a great idea of whether or not this is for you. Exactly. You, know, you were able to go on ride-alongs. We we encourage our listeners to go on ride-alongs, but we are aware that with COVID, a lot of agencies are no longer doing that. Yeah. But at least being in that environment, you get an idea of what it's going to be like and whether or not it's for you. Because you'll 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 start building relationships with officers, you know, field officers, mm-hmm. and you'll start hearing your stories. It, you know, if you worked in the records, you probably read quite a few police reports, <laughs> right? You know, oh, yeah. I, and, and you start reading like you, it's almost like reading like a, a mystery book, right? You're constantly mm-hmm. reading different reports that people that the officers write. I started my career as a civilian, as a police cadet, and I worked in the evidence room. So I start I just was seeing the things that officers were booking in. Yeah. So you you're in that environment. You kind of immerse yourself in that environment and then you just kind of realize, okay, this is for me. This is not for me. So I just really want our listeners to also not think it's all like one or the other. There are other options Mm -hmm. there for you. Absolutely. Jail uh, transport. One of my good friends is a transport officer here. Um, She thought she wanted to be a police officer, but she's really happy with with what she's doing. Great Mm -hmm. position records. I mean, there's so many different positions, um, crime analyst positions mm-hmm. that you can be in the field. It doesn't have to just be police officer, a right. commissioned police officer. Yeah. And I, t- I so do, I, I was going to say, I do consultations ahead. with, with police applicants all the time and they go, what can I do to make myself look better for the police? I go volunteer to police department. You know, mm-hmm. there's, yeah. that is the best place you can go. You get to know the officers, they know you. And then when you apply, they go, oh, yeah, so-and-so they're, they're awesome. They're awesome. Hire them. Yeah. So we've had several of our volunteers become police officers yeah. started out volunteering. Well, we, yeah. uh, we are going to segue here in a minute. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then, uh, we're going to get into Minerva. 
We're going to get into it, Julie, the badassery of training people who get out of the academy. And we are not going to pull any punches. We are going to get down to the nitty gritty. This is, <laughs> you know what? This is so, this is so exciting for me. <laughs> I'm excited because I want to hear this. How to train, how to train someone just out of the academy. We're going to Wait, this is not just anybody. This is the field training officer, officer of, of the year. year. So we will be right back. Policebackground.net is the premier background investigation prep site with veteran investigator Ken Rybal, who spent 16 years conducting over 1,400 LAPD backgrounds. For more information, go to policebackground.net. All right, we are back. I almost forgot to unmute myself. Well, I didn't forget to unmute myself. I'm going, all right, we're back, and there's nothing coming out. But, um, so let's talk about FTO. When I uh, was training recruits out of the academy, I was, I was not the – I was, I was kind of hardcore. I was not one of the ones where they go, I'm such a jerk. But – but I did not play games with these with these recruits coming out. Julie, when I got out of the academy in Minerva is much the same way. We're from the we're from the generation that if your train officer looked at you and go, Where are we? and you didn't know, you got out of the car and you walked to the corner. You had no choice. Yep. And you yep. I went through that. I went through that. And mm -hmm. so and so uh, this training officers sometimes they get a bad rap. But the fact of the matter is, is they're not there. Training officers are not there to be your friend. They're mm -hmm. there to make sure you do not die in the street. While you learn yes. the job. While you're, yes. and, yeah. So <laughs> yes. I want to learn. First off, what I want to know is, <laughs> look at me. I want to know this. <laughs> is Julie, when you, when you, 25 years ago, when you got in the field, uh, there's so many, there's so much to unwrap here. I got so many things going through my head right now. When you got in the field 25 years ago, okay. So you're one of, um, you said there were two in the Academy, but, but I don't know how many females were on the job. Yeah. They, they were from different agencies, but in my Academy class, because our Academy, all the surrounding agencies use the same, and, well, this whole state, obviously state yeah. Academy. And so, when, um, Oh, good. Yeah. Go ahead. So I was the only one that ended up making it through to the end of FTO and becoming a police officer. And you, you were, you were at a time when maybe they didn't look at you favorably uh, being in a police uniform and you had to do FTO. Tell us what your field training and, and, and just for um, FTO, FTO, TOs, all that, that's not, that's kind of generic, but it's not what everybody calls their trainees and and their academy graduates. But FTO, for the purposes of the podcast, field training officers or field training, once you get out of the academy and you're on probation. Tell us about your FTO when you got out. Oh, boy. <laughs> Man, it was I'll, – I'll just summarize it by it was not fun in any way, shape, or form. Um, I thought maybe the academy, you know, it's like, oh, okay – um, you know, that maybe in my mind, that would have been the hardest part, I think, but no, 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 that was not the hardest part. <laughs> that probably was the easiest part. Um, yeah. And then it, everything's real. 
And back then, like I'm sure you guys too, um, again, our agency was started by, I was young when I started, I was, everybody called me the baby. I was because this, our department was started by, I hate to say old timers. I am one now, but from all over the United States, it was the old, old school Mm -hmm. that I was now immersed in as this young entry level officer. And it was, it was all about applying the stress and now it's all real. I can really get hurt. There's no more rubber guns. Um, the bullets are real, you know, you know this, so you have your own implied stress that you're doing yourself Mm -hmm. because you know, if you really mess up, they could have dire consequences. And it was three months of just stress and trying to push through it. And, um, there was a little bit of like, you know, Oh, let's get her into a fight and see if she can fight. You know, I'm very, I'm a (laughs) feminine woman. Um, again, I'm not small. I thought that I, that was definitely helpful, but, um, I guess if you wear makeup back then, a lot of people had the opinion that, Oh, she's going to, she's not going to fight. She's not going to this. Let's try to find her one. Let's try to, you know, all of that. Um, and then when I did get in a big brawl, I got yelled at because I got makeup on one of my coworkers' shirts. But oh my gosh, it, that's what they were worried about. <laughs> that's what they were worried about. I'm like, really? Good job. Good job. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm like, well, then just wash it off for God's sake. But um, yeah, it was stressful. It, it was. There was no GPS. There was no mm-hmm. um, punch it into your phone and. Have there that no phone computers, you laptops, probably. There weren't even computers. It was get your notebook out. And when dispatch tells you the address, you're going to jot that down and you're going to find it. And you're going to have a map. And in the middle of the night, you're going to, you know, it, it was it was stressful. And then if it was kind of a slower day, um, certain FTOs would, unbeknownst to me, call the dispatcher to create like a fake call per se and tone me out and run priority in the dark to get there to see if I could get there and with no help. I mean, there was no looking at him and going, I don't know where I'm at, mm-hmm. figure it out. Or screaming in my ear, officer down, officer down at this address. Yeah. Go. And, mm-hmm. and actually running priority, letting the dispatcher know, Hey, we're going to run priority, all that kind of stuff. And man, it really, I had to really want it because to be honest, there were days when I said that most things came easy to me, I say that because this is what I was afraid of. I'm like, here we are. Like, this is something that is not necessarily just freely coming to me. I'm having to work harder at this than I ever have in school, anything in my life. How bad do I want it? And, you know, I had a lot, I heard a lot of people tell me, well, maybe you should just quit after a really hard day or really hard call. I mean, if you can't handle it, get out. And I remember one day almost in tears going to the locker room, like, I don't need this. Like, why am I doing this to myself? And I'm like, no, you know what? If they don't want me here, they can fire me, but I am not quitting period. And thank God I didn't because I did rise to the occasion and and it was literally the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, but I did it. And all of that. 
Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, did did you take as as difficult? You you describe a training that was to me. It sounds like it was really hardcore. It was really difficult. They cut you know slack. And did you take that and did that mold you into the training officer that you became? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely it did. And you know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I wouldn't have changed anything, honestly, they did me a favor. Um, I wouldn't be the officer I am today had I not gone through that. Had I been coddled or... Um, again, this is my opinion. I, I don't think I, I would be, so I am absolutely nothing but grateful for the experience that I had as I wouldn't ever want to do it again, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but grateful. Yeah. Grateful. Totally. Well, one of the reasons that, that I wanted to get you on here and, and I knew that, uh, we, the three of us would just gel in this interview was that you, you not only are you old school, you, you're a hardcore FTO and not everybody liked you. Um, (laughs) but there, there's one thing there's, I want to put two questions together and and Minerva, I'm going to move one of these questions up because, because I'm dying to know the Uh answer to this. Um, but I want to, I want to know about your style of training and what is, is Julie's, how would people describe Julie and what made her the FTO of the year? But one of the, one of the burning questions for me, and we spoke about this, uh, we were on the phone is the difference in your training with male officers versus female trainees. Was there a difference in how you trained males versus females? You know, I remember I went talking about this with you that, that somebody had asked that question to me, a while back and it had never been asked before. I think it was actually when I got my award afterwards, FTOs were asking me questions and I go, you know, I've never, that's a really good question that I've never been asked before. And when I stopped to think about it, like, do I, I think, I think I, I was, Mm -hmm. am, um, to be fair, because I had seen so much of, I I did a lot of the um, remedial. If a student was struggling, I handled a lot of those. And there were both men and women, of course. But I started seeing a pattern with a lot of these women that they were more than capable. More than capable. And I'm like, what has been going on? Well, they had been coddled. I mean, Mm. I started seeing that. And what a disservice to them. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm not saying that a lot of it, I I don't know, but I I think sometimes maybe, because I know like a lot of our male FTOs are really great guys. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't even realize they're doing it, I think. I I have had had some conversations with them and they're like, you know, it's just, I don't want to see them cry. Oh my gosh, like I just it's easier for me to do it for them because I, you know, I see them getting stressed and, and, and I'm like, ah, stop doing that. But, but you that know, they're so just frustrating to hear. And, yeah. yeah and, and, and I started seeing that. And I, I remember Ken telling you about one, one particular female that 
was just recently, not that long ago, that she was failing. She was going to fail. She had been through the normal three months, a couple extensions, and I was gearing up to go back into detective. So I wasn't, I was done taking students, but they're like, Julie, we got one more. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And she, it was, I was the last hope. It was either, I think they were going on five months at that point, And that was pretty unheard of. But so day one, you know, I got, I needed to, I had read everything. And, and I'm telling you, honestly, from everything I read, going through the, the reports of the former FTOs, from talking to them to try to get an idea of, of what plan I could formulate. It was, she was saying cut out to do this period, just not, not responding, not anything, um, won't engage, won't. So going into it, you know, as much as you try not to, if I were to be honest with myself, I'm like, well, I'd probably bet money that, and she's very small in stature, is small in stature. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll give it, I'll give it my best shot that I will give. And then so be it. Julie, what were her main issues? Like, was it like report writing? Was it geography? Oh, everything. Okay. (laughs) All right. Everything. But the biggest one was, was being timid. That was probably the biggest one. Mm. Um, Being timid, not engaging, struggling to talk to people, command presence. And then uh, she is very small statured and, uh, kind of more of a quiet voice. Hmm. So day one, I, and she, certain FTOs in certain areas though, would give her like, it, there was, a, it was just really no consistency across the board. One FTO would say, Oh, like I gave her all acceptables. And then it would come plunging down with another one. And so it's kind of all over the place. So I just wanted to, you know, had a talk with her before, you know, off the record, we're not training yet to just kind of talk to her and get a, a feel for how she was feeling because I'm like, okay, clearly this girl's, this poor girl's frustrated at this point. And if you're so frustrated, but you don't feel like it's okay to talk to me about how you're frustrated, I don't think I can help you. So I wanted her to feel like, Hey, this is just you and me talking. Don't be afraid to just tell me why you're frustrated, why you feel like you're struggling. And I told her and I said, okay, I'm going to be honest with you because you know, you deserve to hear it. You deserve to hear the truth. And I told her the truth. Like it's, you're not going to want to hear what I have to say, but I said it in a very caring way. And I said, because you deserve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she turned her head and she got mad, not at me. She mm-hmm. wasn't angry at me. And she goes, why am I just hearing this now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I go, I don't know. I don't know that, but I promise you, and I will make this promise to you day one that I will absolutely give you everything that I have. There's only so much I can do. You're going to have to bring the rest of it. And that was, I put, I would go home at the end of the day, just mentally and physically exhausted because it was literally training. And I think they gave me two weeks. Two weeks is not a lot. Mm-mm. And I told them, I go, uh, yeah, I can't undo yeah. four months of, so when she was responding, I said, you got to give me, I think I go, I think I can save this one. And, but I need a little more time. And I'll tell you what, long story short, she rose to the occasion. Like I, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed it on what, how in such a short time too. um, 
the last day with her, she we got toned out for a, a, a burglary. She located the suspects and she's tiny. I'm not. Took off running. This guy was probably 250, 6'2", I think. Somehow got on the other side of the fence. She found a hole in the fence, ran faster than me, took him down before my very eyes. I still don't know how she did it. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> it was very rewarding for me because she later went to our uh, boss that had made the decision to give her one last shot with me and said, thank you, thank you, thank you mm-hmm. for putting me with her. She said, mm-hmm. it was not fun. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> but she saved me. She mm-hmm. saved me. And she goes, I didn't know. And she told my bosses who later told me that she goes, I didn't know I was being coddled. And she Mm -hmm. did not coddle me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, she had been coddled. She absolutely, I mean, and she, everybody loves her. She's a great officer now. And we almost lost her. Mm. That's what happened. Minerva, I want to get your take on this too, because one of the things I did mention uh, in my conversation with Julie originally was that I think that the, the current... In the current environment, there are training officers mm-hmm. that get re- that get recruits out of the academy. And 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 just for the just for um for our listeners, when when Julie says um, students, she's talking about probationary officers. That's what they they call the the probationers. So when right. she gets um, and what I'm trying to say is that when officers get um uh, get females or um. Uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, probationers of color out in the, and they don't want to be, they don't want to be seen as being, I don't know, racist or, or uh, discriminating. Too hard. And be, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they don't want to be complained about. So they coddle, they coddle certain, um, certain probationers. And I, and I think that's what Julie's referring to is this, what turned out to be a great officer was coddled and was not being, her best was not being brought out of her to be a police officer. And what is, what's your take on that Minerva? Because we talk about this stuff all the time. Right. Um, well, just like Julie, I was not coddled by my TOs at all, you know, but they were also like my first TO had 27 years on the job already. I was his last trainee. So he was almost out the door. So old, old school. Right. Um, but I will say, I think, um, it's it Julie hit it in you know in the head like you are doing a disservice to the female officers if you're a teal out there and you're treating them like you know the whole like being a gentleman with your female trainee you're doing her a disservice because you're not letting her learn to do the job if she were by herself and had to do it by herself and you know, many agencies, maybe they have two officers, but I think the majority of agencies are only one officer uh, patrol cars. Right. I know I was by myself. I was a solo car and an officer, a female officer needs to feel that she is capable of doing her job. Mentally, she may think that, but if she's being coddled, she may not like your training, right? She didn't realize she was being coddled till you pointed it out to her, mm-hmm. right? And, and I refused to jump in, yeah, unless I had to, you know? Right. All the other ones did. They would jump in right away. 
and I know sometimes it's hard to know when to take over, when not to, and it takes a lot of discipline because we just want to. Right. But yeah. And it's hard for people to learn when you're stressed already. Right. So I was never a fully training officer. I would just get people who like when their training officer were, were on vacation, the trainees that didn't have a TO for the the week or the day, they would get put with me. So I was never like an official field training officer, but I would always make it a point to sit down with them and kind of get a feel for them like you did, you know? And I would say that I also, I think it was harder on the females because it's hard on this job. I feel like at least when I was an officer, we always had to prove ourselves that we we had a place on the job. You know, Always. no matter what. Right. It was like, oh, let's get her in a fight to see if she'll step in. Let's see. You know, it, it, that's the old school. I hope things have come a long way from now from that. But I don't know because I haven't been in the field in so long. I think so. I think it's a lot yeah. better. Of course, I'm well established, you know, 25 years. Um, but I'll tell you what, like it took a long time because it's like, how many times do I have to prove I can do this? Like it took years. Right. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, have I not done that already? And so, you know, it, it took a while, but it's definitely a lot better now. I, I think. Good. I hope so. Because I know like for me, I, and I think um, Katie mentioned this in our female episode where she, uh, she's a detective in the East coast. And uh, she started as a dispatcher and then she started, she became full sworn officer at the same agency that she was a dispatcher. So she already knew the guys and the guy started treating her like a little sister and she would go to like simple report calls and they would show up and she'd be like, I got this, like, let me do it, you know, or they would try it. The dispatchers who knew her and saw her more like a daughter role, didn't want to send her to the hot calls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they were worried about her. And I, I experienced mm-hmm. a little bit of that. Not so much. But guys, you are not helping your female sisters. No. In no, doing you're, that. Not, you're, you're not. not. And, and that's where I know um, a lot of my former students that, you know, still come to me. You know, I'm like, I'm always here. They're like, wow. When they went to different phases, they realized, like, I always told them, like, depending on the day, you know, on your sector, I don't just if I hear a call that you need to go to, we're going to take it. Right. And I don't care what sector it's in. You need call exposure, call exposure, call exposure, mm-hmm. where they would go to a different FTO. That's like, if they didn't get, happen to get any calls there that day in their sector, then so be it. Then they didn't really do anything that day where me, I'm like, we'll take that. We'll take that dead body. We'll take that fight. We'll take that because who's that helping? Right. That's helping them. I mean, I already know how to do it, but you don't. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, and I always told them, look, I'm going to know what you have experienced and what you haven't. And if you haven't had a DOA, a, a death, I'm going to find you one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to just try to get them the most that I could get them. And most of my students, a lot of them would be well ahead going into mm-hmm. the next phase, which is what I, I liked. I always liked and then they would realize like, oh, wow, she wasn't fun. But wow, they would start to see. But they learned they so much, though. Yeah. So I, I actually had that experience. My first TO, although he had 27 years on the job, had been a motor, had worked homicide, had worked burglary. I mean, he loved traffic because he had been a motor as well. 
but he would buy every single call. We were a city car, basically, you know, and I remember yep. there was one time, um, I know you're not familiar with the geography here, but can you are, we were on our way to Van Nuys station for a warrant pickup. And I was literally exiting the freeway. I think it's Van Nuys Boulevard and a shot calls came out and he was like, turn around. <laughs> you know? And this is like, I don't know, about 15 miles away from where our city. And he's like, turn around. And he was like, he would always put his like gloves on. Like he was ready to get in it. <laughs> That's a know? good FTO right there. Yeah. That was a good FTO. My second FTO wasn't as active. You know, mm -hmm. but luckily I already had the foundation of the first TO. Yeah. Right. And yeah. he was old school. Like, where are we? You know, and I had to write my reports with a pen and Me I couldn't too. use whiteout. And Me then too. I graduated to a pencil <laughs> and I had to carry a dictionary with me because th there were no smartphones then. You couldn't just look yeah. up a word. You know, there was no spell check. None of that. So I had that foundation from him. And so, and he never made me feel stupid, mm -hmm. you know, because like you said, there are TOs that don't know when to just stay back and let their training officers right. do and learn. You know, if it's not, obviously, if it's not a life or death situation, let them learn through their mistakes. Let them learn to how to talk to people and exactly. figure it out. Yes. Are we going to be able to figure it out sooner than they are? Yes. Yes. And that's where, I mean, even for me, the discipline that it took to not, when somebody was being mouthy and you're like, Ugh, I want to yeah. go off on this person so bad. To but, jump in. <laughs> and it, it took a lot of discipline on my part to step back and no, I mean, and, and the, the female that I told you about, she was used to that. As soon as somebody got a little lippy, the FTO came in to save the day and I wasn't saving the day. Right. Uh, it, she would and, I, I, panic, and I'm like, that was something that I, I wanted to see from the female recruit uh, or new officers, trainees that would write with me is like, are you able to verbally handle yourself, yeah. your command presence? Because I'm small. I, I'm five, two. So no. I'm small. <laughs> you know? Yes, you're tiny. <laughs> I'm tiny. So for me. I need you to know that I'm here to handle business. I'm not trying to get into a fight with you. And I will use yeah. my verbal skills to keep myself out of that situation because I know my limitations as well. But I'm also not going to let you walk all over me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted our, I, I knew how important that was for a female, especially myself being so small, <laughs> because 90 something percent of the people that I was coming in contact were way bigger than me. Right. Yeah. And there's always, I would tell there's always, and like I, I told her with talks, I said, look, yeah, you're built tiny. Yes. Okay. I go, I'm, I'm here to tell you, we all have something. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, I used to get made fun of like, Oh, you just look like you're ready to go shopping. You don't look like a police officer. You know, <laughs> we all have something. Right. I don't care if you're six, four, 250 pounds. We all have something we have to overcome. Mm -hmm. And you later learn when you mature that you can talk your way out of a lot of, you know, uh, confrontations. But, but I, I had to do exercises with her because she was, you know, very soft voice. She had gone through these months of training without ever being forced to use command presence and so I would do exercises with her. I said, tell me something, you know, what irritates you? And she's like, well, I don't know, a lot of things. I go, well, okay, for example, I'll tell you what irritates me. When somebody puts their finger 
using my example, from Academy, <laughs> I said that will send my blood boiling or if somebody points at me mm-hmm. and she goes, well, yeah, that's, that's pretty irritating too. I hate that. So guess what I did? I, you know, and it's just her and I, and I, I go, yeah. how did that make you feel? And she goes, um, well, it was, it was, and she was afraid to tell me. So right. I did it again <laughs> and I did it again and again. And I go, tell me how that makes you feel. And finally I, I, <laughs> so those exercises, but they worked right. and she learned to, when she realized she wasn't going to get in trouble, I had to preface it with that. Like those exercises helped her to, you know, go. And when we had a, a, a verbal altercation to use her command presence voice and, and it, it helped her, she's, she said it worked, develop that. Yeah. She had to learn to use her voice mm-hmm. and cause she had been, you know, taken care of and who knows. And that also kind of has to do with the way people are brought up. If you live in a house where you're like, don't ever talk back to me, you yeah. know, where she's never had an open line of communication and you did that for her. You opened yeah. that line. You told her like, Hey, let's just have an honest conversation. This is not to to train me. This is just yeah. us talking about some of the issues that you've had. And, you know, I think, and if like, nobody had yeah. that conversation with her, obviously. And that's how, what she said. She goes, nobody had these conversations with me. Right. And Why? so how are they supposed to fix the issue? That's the other yeah. point here, right? If you don't tell them what's going on or who knows how they, how their, her previous TOs had communicated that with her, the deficiencies that she had, how is she supposed to fix it if she doesn't yeah. know what she's doing wrong? And then she was mad about that. And I, I would have been mad too. Like, why am I just hearing about this now? Mm. Well, because you know, it sets her up to fail. It would set her up to fail. She was absolutely set up to fail. Absolutely. Yeah. And that and that's not just females. That happens with male. It uh, happens with males too. Male officers yeah. too. So uh, I could see why you got the training officer of the year. <laughs> because, <laughs> because that, I mean, that is also true. Like it's about how the training officer is with their trainee, the type of relationship yeah. they build. If, you're so afraid to ask questions or you're so afraid to mess up because how your training officer is going to react. There's a problem with that training officer. Yeah. And no learning is going to, and, and we would have those times where I'm like, look, if I don't know, I have a lot of skills, but reading minds is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. And if you are frustrated, you need to feel like you can tell me that you're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to, that's not going to be disrespectful to me. Right. If I can't help you, because I, I guess that was one thing I would have changed the FTO I went through, um, is that I could not in any way, shape or form express that I was frustrated. Mm-hmm. Had I been able to express that, I think, you know, it makes learning. I, I think when you're so stressed out, the you learning stops. Yeah. The learning stops. And I, I I would just be spinning my wheels at that point. Like if I have them so stressed out that they can't, that there's no learning that's going to take place. Absolutely. So right. it's something that really worked for me that I, over the years I had heard feedback, like I was able, I was never able to do that with my others. I was able to go, oh, I just don't understand this or I'm frustrated with this. And okay, well now we can try it a different way or something. You know, I would go do mock traffic scenes with my coworkers Mm-hmm. in a controlled environment because they were frustrated, so frustrated with the placement of the car or when should I turn my lights on that when somebody would, there'd be an officer safety issue. It's like, okay, well, let's practice this in a safe environment. And I would, I would have the driver get lippy and okay, when is time to, you know, act and, and whatever the deficiencies were, 
Mm-hmm. If, if they could express that to me, then, or if something that I'm teaching in a way isn't working, tell me that and I'll come up with a different one. Right. Because every training is different. We don't it, all they are. Them. They're different people. So I remember one night, um, my second training officer had taken vacation or what, what happened. And my academy classmate, it was no secret. He was having a hard time with his TO and he didn't make it. He didn't pass training. He ended up getting fired as a result of that. So I had to write with his training officer for that one week that my training officer was on vacation. And man, it was, I wasn't doing bad, but every single, like every other minute, what's the vehicle code for failing to stop at a stop sign? What's oh, this? Geez. What's that? What's the penal code for this? What would you do with this? What would you do that? I'll I mean, stop it, was, look up, but. <laughs> it was all night constantly. I was so mentally exhausted. And yeah. he was known as like the hatchet guy. Like, you know, and I don't think, I don't is know if he. Is it super important to, to memorize all the penal codes? No. Is it more important that, hey, where are we? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, but I was like, man, like maybe it wasn't so much that this person wasn't doing well during training. It's mm-hmm. just the constant stress. Like you said, when you're constantly stressed, your mind, you can't just think straight and do well. I could have the best training in the world and it's not going to penetrate. Exactly. So stressed out. And when you're hungry, I always tell my trainees, we don't go, we don't go hungry. <laughs> and hungry. Yes. I told them that too. I go, look, so, we're going to be very busy. Um, in fact, one of my other former students is like, the best advice I can give you is bring snacks. Bring snacks. <laughs> but I told them, look, if you're hungry or you need to go to the bathroom or you're thirsty, yes. just tell me that. Because again, I remember not eating the entire shift and, Mm -hmm. you know, being so hungry and you're not, that's not a learning environment either. So. Yeah, I agree. I had once, um, we actually had a lateral from the sheriff's department lateral to our agency. And he wrote with me his very, very first day. And I wanted to go to a sit down place, which wasn't something I did often. You know, you, when you're a police officer, you just want to grab something quick and eat right. In case a call comes out. But this time, because he was a lateral and, you know, he had already been a police officer and it was his first night on the job. I actually wanted to go somewhere to sit down just to kind of talk to him a little bit more. And we get to the restaurant and we I park. I was like, all right, let's go eat. I get out of the car. I'm waiting for him to come out of the car. And he's like sitting there. So finally, I knock on the window and I'm like, are you coming? Like, what's going on? And he was literally unwrapping his protein bar. And I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, I get to eat. And I go, yes. Well, he had just left the jails and had just gone to patrol at at Sentry Station, which here is a very active station for the sheriff's department. Well, over here, I don't know how it is where, where you are, but the sheriff's department, they don't care how many years you've had in the jails as a deputy. When you hit patrol, you're back on probation. Technically you're treated like you're straight out of the Academy. And that's what happened with this guy. He was like, I wasn't allowed to eat. I wasn't even allowed to speak. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen here. We need to eat because I need you to learn. (laughs) I was like, you can't learn on an empty stomach. I go, I'm not saying that I go and look, I go, the only reason we're here at an actual sit down is because I actually want to sit down and kind of pick your brain as to where you are in regards to patrol since this is your first day on the the job. I go, but we don't normally eat at a sit down place. We usually eat 
on the trunk of her, you yeah. know, at her trunk of the car. So I go, but this is, you're not a brand new officer. I just want to know where you're at and, you know, kind of guide you on how we do things in this agency. And then when your TO comes, then you guys can have your discussion and you can go, but since you're riding with me for this week, this is how we're going to do it. And I just feel like, yeah, it has to be comfortable enough, but not so much where the trainee feels. Right, yeah, there's a so fine line. There's a fine line, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. don't overstep your boundaries with your TO and complain yeah. about things that really aren't necessary to complain about. Yeah, so, there's that fine line. Allow me yeah. to interject here because uh, I have a couple <laughs> questions for for Julie. All right, we took over. <laughs> we'll like to talk. Yeah. <laughs> the Julia Minerva show. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so Julie, the, the question begs to be asked is, is, uh, your training style. I know what the answer to this is, is, uh, hardcore versus easygoing. And the big question that I want to know, uh, answer to is how come nobody liked you? (laughs) Well, I think, yeah, it comes to no surprise. Um, definitely hardcore, um, but I would hope in a way like the difference from the hardcore that I went through that there were, that they could have that communication, you know, that, okay, I'm just a person right now and you're just going to talk to me like a teacher. And so I don't know if that's a little easygoing that's mixed in there, but, but definitely hardcore, but hopefully with hardcore with open communication, if that makes sense. Well, so strict, what? but not rigid. Yeah. Like I wasn't mean. I wasn't mean. I was like the Lieutenant that, that nominated me for Veteran of the Year. He always described me when, when he would ask like, how is it going with Julie? How is it, you know, (laughs) um, or he'd, or other students would warn them. She's hard, but she's fair. Mm -hmm. That's how I was mostly described was, and I would hope that I was always fair. Um, I didn't let personal feelings, if I liked their personality or didn't like their personality, you know, that's always going to happen. I just really tried to, and I think, I think I did a, a fairly good job at that, keeping all that, you know, I was fair. If they deserved a good grade, they got it. If they didn't, regardless how I feel about them, they got it. Did did you ever and have? Yes, I was not liked by a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever have uh, uh, trainees uh, complain about you or your style? Oh, all the time, all the time. Yeah, yep. In fact, I've heard rumors that at one point I was called the Black Widow, um, Black Widow. because I had a lot not make it, but. You know, like I would tell every single student that when we would explain at the end of the day, bad scores or why they were getting it, I always explained why they would get it. And I said, look, in this job, we don't have the ability or the luxury to keep you because we like you, because you're a nice person, because yeah, maybe you're a hard worker and you have great ethics, but you can't, we don't have the luxury to do that. And You know, I have to live with a lot of stuff that I've seen and done in 25 years. And what I can't live with is looking a family in the face and go, I'm sorry, I passed him because they were a nice person. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live with that. Um, I've seen too many uniforms in a casket and I'm not going to look at mine Mm -hmm. 
and I'm just not, we don't have that luxury and it's not about feelings or liking somebody. I've been trusted by my department to do a job and I take that very seriously. Can I trust you with my life or my peers life? Cause that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. If we put the yeah. stamp on you, our job is like any other it's life or death at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's not about, you know, well, yeah, well, they're so nice and they work hard and they have a great attitude. Yeah. There's a lot of times that I failed people that I absolutely, it tore my heart out to do it. I didn't want to, but I knew it's a huge responsibility and I never took that lightly. We had an officer back in the day that his, some of his FTOs recommended had concerns that he not, that he probably shouldn't pass. And they, the decisions were made to pass him anyway, and he was killed a short time later. Oh. Um, he was actually killed. He took my spot when I became pregnant with my son, and I went on light duty. I can't live with that. So, um, you know, it, it's it's a position that I never took lightly, and I knew the burden that came with it. And at the end of the day, whatever decision had to be made or whatever recommendation I had to give, I knew that, you know, it, it had to be the right one. You describe it very well because being a TO is a burden. It is a burden because (laughs) you are, you're in a, you're in a real life situation where you go on these calls and you have to be concerned about keeping yourself alive, keeping your trainee alive and, teaching them how to do police work. This is not uh, the academy anymore. This is not situation simulations. This is not practice. This is real time. There's no redo. (laughs) There's no redo. And yeah, not only do I have to worry about keeping myself alive, because we're single cars too. I have to worry about keeping, I'm responsible for that life as well. And that is not something that I take lightly. Um, And I've been in situations that it almost, turned into a situation where we possibly had to use lethal force and telling you what, that's scary when this somebody's daughter or son is standing next to me. And yeah, it's not something to be taken lightly by any means. It's not for the extra money or, you know, the title. I don't care about titles or money. Um, I -hmm. care about churning out officers that I trust myself and my peers to work with someday. Yeah, what uh, I think uh, a question that it will be of um, of importance to our listeners is what are some of the things that cause uh, your students, the trainees, to fail FTO? Um, you know, I've seen a lot over the years. I've had like some students with master's degrees that were very intelligent but wanted to write like they were in college (laughs) Um, or couldn't one in particular. I remember he was a very smart, I mean, he had a master's and I don't remember economics or something, but he couldn't multitask Mm -hmm. Had nothing, this job. I mean, I don't think it's about, you know, you don't have to be Einstein. Um, But I think something that we can't give you, I can give you tools. I can give you, you know, I can, I can try to teach 
everything I know and have learned, but I can't give you common sense. And, you know, I find that the best students that, that I've seen over the years have been prior bartenders, um, you know, not fancy educations or multitasking. I think that was a big one. A lot of people just can't multitask. I mean, it can be overwhelming. You know, you're, I remember my husband went on a ride along with me once and, and, you know, I'm, he's talking to me, I'm talking on the radio, I'm listening, I'm driving, I'm, yeah. Mm-hmm. and he goes, how do you do that? Yes. <laughs> um, I, that, that's a big one. Multitasking. Mm-hmm. Um, tactics. Being timid. Tactics. Yeah. That's officer safeties and a huge one, probably one of the top. Um, afraid to act. Are you seeing more of are you seeing more of that where um, trainees are afraid to take action when needed? Absolutely. And it's, again, I think coming from the difference in the academy and it's a big, big problem and more officers are getting hurt mm-hmm. because of it. Yeah. It's also, uh, they're afraid of being sued. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I understand why I, um, and, you know, I, I, I can't say anything. I'm not on the field anymore, so I'm not in that situation. It wasn't like that when I left the police department. Uh, things have changed so much in the last decade. Yeah. Um, so I'm not here to judge. Um, but, you know, like when you see videos and then, you know, videos are only like a few seconds. Right. And you're like, why didn't you, why aren't they doing anything? <laughs> you know, but it's easy for me to say watching the video, it's, it's yeah. something else when you're in it. Right. Yeah. And then that fear of like, am I going to get sued? Am I going to get charged? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, legally charged with a crime or what's the, what's going to yeah. happen after this goes viral. Right. <laughs> so Times have definitely changed. You know, back yeah. when we were doing it, there weren't phones out recording every move you made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at times are just so different. You know, now we recently got body cams, um, body cams. I mean, things that, you know, would come out of our mouths <laughs> would, um, you know, it's just, you have, there's so a lot much. of adapting, a lot of adapting and, you know, some of the old timers have a hard time doing that. Because yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's just a completely different world. And and you know, these new recruits, man, they do have to the pendulum has swung so far to one side that they, they have to worry about being recorded and being thrown out there on social media and body cams and it's all legitimate concerns being and sued and, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a, a lot. lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. I, I think that uh the the environment now makes it so much more difficult. I mean, for police officers just to do their jobs and with the body cams oh, yeah. and people, you could be in the fight for your life and there's 15 mm-hmm. cell phones around you. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's no. so much. Well, I think you can, you can do your job. It's just the perception of perception. how you did your mm-hmm. job that is mm-hmm. affecting yeah. people, exactly. officers from <laughs> doing their job. You know, just even with family members, I am the only law, you know, I'm the only police officer in my family. They're all doctors and teachers. Like I was the black sheep of the family, but (laughs) even, you know, watching television with some of my close family members and they, you know, give their opinion on, oh, why did that officer do this? Or why did they do that? And I'm like, let me give you a little 
Yeah. But, the, you know, so I said, you do the you? job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, excuse me. You're sitting here in your warm, comfortable living room watching a little snippet on television. You don't know what that officer went through before the cameras started rolling. Absolutely. Or after. Um, and even, you know, I'd invited some of them. Why don't you go on a ride along? Why don't you, if you really want to kind of get a, an idea of a day in the life, oh, why would I do that? That's dangerous. You know, my daughter, um, she's a part-time records clerk at a, at a law enforcement agency. She's 18. Um, I'm a retired cop. My ex-husband's a cop. He's a sergeant. And she did recently did the fat simulator. Mm And she's like, I shot this guy and he didn't have a knife, but I thought he had a knife. And I was just like, yeah. it was just so fast. And I'll go, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how it goes. And I just, yep. I just wish more people can even go through a fat simulator just to see how in a matter of split seconds, things can I think, change. Yeah. I think if people could, and we do, I don't know if you guys do this, but our department does. I have to say it's probably some of the best training, reality-based training with mm-hmm. actual our defensive tactics uh, officers are, are actors for shoot, no shoot scenarios, all sorts of stuff. Closest to reality as you can get. Yeah. If the general public that love to judge us could go through some of that. Yes. I think it would be a huge eye opener. Yeah. My agency, uh, we used to have what's called Citizens Academy. I used to work. Oh, in we the have community. that. Yeah. Yeah. I used to work in the community policing unit. That was one of my assignments. And we did a citizens Academy and we would do scenarios and that was same thing. Like, like, what do you do? You know? And, um, and they're like, you could tell they're like, they're just like overwhelmed. Right. They're like, I don't know what to do. And then the, the, the proctor would be like, so what are you going to do? They're fighting. They're doing this Make a decision. Yeah. Make a decision. Quick, 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 you know? And they're like, ah, and then, you know, some of the feedback would always be like, it's just, everything's happening all at once and you just it's hard not to get overwhelmed yeah and i was and i'm like yeah that's that's police work (laughs) yeah and it's truly to be good at this job i mean oh my word i think you have to be i mean it takes time a lot of time i mean i was definitely an entirely different police officer now than i was you know even 10 years ago right a lot a lot of time but man, like we wear so many different hats. We're grief counselors, we're teachers, we're parents, we're, and we just switch those hats, you know, Yeah. constantly. And it takes a special kind of personality to be able to, I think, do it and do it well. It's not easy. Yeah. And then, and you, you are, you do are, wear all these hats, pastors, mm-hmm. teachers, counselors, grief mm-hmm. counselors, um, and you can wear these all these hats in the 12 hour period, right? Yeah. Because you yep. can go to one hot call and your next one is a, a dead person call. And now you're yep. like family's crying and all of this. And you're like, your adrenaline is up here, but you got to bring it down right. <laughs> to escalate. Yeah. So. And you, and you, you don't wear, be that officer. Yeah. You but wear yeah. these hats and then you do, you, you take an action and three days later, somebody comes along and says, well, you didn't do it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I just think that you're, it's just irritating because <laughs> I think you're so stupid. You're not there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like it's like it's like that old thing where they go, um, you're not going to have people uh, go to the pilot of the plane and go, hey, I would like it better. I think you should fly this plane this way because you're <laughs> you know not. I like the- to tell those people we're hiring. <laughs> we're hiring. Come and do <laughs> there it. You go. Hey, Julie. That shuts them up real quick. Um, there, one of the things that I, I think is important for our listeners is war stories. We call them war stories, which I think is a, 
it's a kind of a lighthearted thing, but it's what makes us as police officers and as human beings, once we retire, who we are. Um, you're, you're, are definitely impacted by what you see in the street. And I will say, I, I, I'm not shy about saying that police work is a dirty, dirty business. We police officers see the underbelly of society that nobody wants to see. Yeah. And we see it over and over and over and over. Yeah. And it can change who you are. And so moving into the war stories part, can you share with us some of your experiences uh, on the job? Oh, wow. (laughs) Where do I even start? Like you want the toughest ones I've experienced? Like, what, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you feel, whatever you feel is, is what well, you want to share. Some... I want to give you kind of a funny one and then a, a, a really serious one yeah. because yeah. Um, I was, it was before I had my son. So I was still a rookie. Um, I think I had been on maybe three years and I got pricked by a needle, a dirty, bloody needle from a prostitute who was hep C positive. And I had to go to the ER to get the whole exposure. I had a a senior officer that was old enough to be, I think my grandpa take me to the ER. And I, you know, like, Oh, like my life flashed before my eyes. Like, Oh, she's hep C positive. I haven't had children yet. Like, Oh my gosh. Like it was the first incident that I really thought this could be life changing from just one call. Yeah. could change my entire life. And I'm in the ER and, and the, the officer's waiting outside the curtain and the doctor's like, okay, we need to do this, you know, and AIDS was a, a big concern too. Um, we need to do this exposure. We, it consists of two pretty painful, and he kept on going into detail about how painful these shots were. I'm like, okay, could you just, let's, uh, you don't need to give me, <laughs> it's not so bad, but he said, it's, it's so painful. The needles are really big and thick. The serum is thick. I'm going to have to get a second doctor and we're going to do it at the same time. And I'm like, Okay. Mm. And again, I think I've been on three years. So I start rolling my sleeves up to my uniform. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And he goes, um, and I forgot to mention this doctor was smoking hot. (laughs) He was like, he looked like a model. And so I'm rolling my sleeves up, preparing like, you know, needles. I'm like, I can handle this. Like I've been through way worse. He goes, um, yeah, no, we're going to have to have you bottoms up off. and i'm like <laughs> bottoms up and i'm like oh. and i remember my mom who uh, probably a lot of moms told us make sure <laughs> that you wear certain undergarments because you never know if you're gonna get into an accident or and i'm like oh my god like that morning i chose very colorful undergarments <laughs> <laughs> maybe leopard print. And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, I was just mortified. Um, yeah, I had to get the two shots and I, it was funny, but also a very serious, like my life did flash before my eyes, but it's funny because I, to this day have not lived that down. That story has not died. Mm-hmm. So oh my gosh, that's kind I of bet so you, you didn't wear colorful undergarments after that. I then had work <laughs> undergarments <laughs> and off-duty undergarments. <laughs> yeah, that's a scary thing but, where you're searching somebody, some bum or or somebody, and then you get pricked by a needle. And it is just a reminder of there was nothing that I necessarily I didn't get sloppy. I mm. didn't I did it the way I was trained. I did I didn't do something stupid, but 
but that's the reality of you can do everything by the book. And there's a lot of times we still can't control the outcome. It just happened. And by the grace of God, I did later go on to have children and I was fine, but, but I, you know, it's the risk we take. You just never know. It's not, Mm. it's not like I could look back and go, Oh, I knew I shouldn't have done this. That was stupid. That's why this happened. A lot of things happen in this career that we have zero control over. And that's the scariest part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I think too, um, I'm a detective now. I I've spent many years as a, a detective on and off in special assault. I do, you know, homicide, child sex crimes. And let me tell you that as officers, I think in order to be able to do this job long-term, you learn to compartmentalize. Like mm-hmm. we see hard stuff day in, day out, day in, day out. And we just kind of put it away and put it away and put it away. Um, I'm not somebody that necessarily really likes to talk about that stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Go figure. I think a lot of us don't, yeah. especially us old school, because it's, it was hounded into you, especially as a woman. I remember a female told me, don't ever let them see you cry, Julie. Don't ever, you yeah. suck it up and don't ever let them see you cry. That's why I could relate to your story with your broken nose of going in, realigning it yourself and then coming out as if nothing happened. Fine. Yeah. Fine. Yes. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm pain, but I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they, a lot of times I think they were just waiting to see that from you. Like, oh, we were right. We knew we called that one. We knew she wouldn't. I actually had an academy instructor tell me that after I graduated that they all took bets, bets on how long <laughs> I would make it. And yeah, that I surprised them all. But but that, you know, going on 25 years, it, I think, you know, I always promised myself, well, if this job ever changes me, like it's not my identity, I'll get out, you know, but I think sometimes it can little by little and you don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see that stuff and deal with death and trauma just over and over and over. And, you know, I had a homicide last year, last year, a year exactly yesterday that involved a, a, an innocent, beautiful young man that was the same age as my son, looked like my son, drove the same car and co- make and model color car as my son, had the same jacket as my son. And let me tell you, that was hard. After 25 years, I'm like, I've been doing this for so long. Why is this one so much harder than, you know, I, I, I've, I've gone to autopsies over and over. I've handle infant deaths over and over, but you know, you're not quite prepared sometimes for a certain call that maybe just hits a little too close to home and you're the investigator and you have to go to that autopsy. You have to meet with that family and realizing, you know, this kid did nothing. He was just an innocent kid eating his dinner in a parking lot and was brutally murdered. Hmm. And you're scared that you're not, you know what? This wasn't a drug dealer. He wasn't doing anything wrong. Cause I think a lot of times you can explain it away. Well, like nobody should ever, nobody deserves to have that happen to them, no matter what, whether you're a criminal or not. But, but it's just a reminder, like that could have been any of us or any of our family members. And, you know, that's the reality of police work. I think sometimes I know I didn't think of that stuff when I went into it. It's like, I'm going to get to pull people over. I'm going to get to drive fast. I'm going to get to, 
you know, you think of the adrenaline and those to those type yeah, of Yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, the movies and all the fun. And we do have a lot of fun in this job. But there's another side of it that I don't really think you can quite be prepared for. And that's the actual reality of it is, can you do this day in, day out? Can you do those types of calls and then balance it and not have it affect your marriage? Or, you know, I know my reaction to this case was, Hey kiddo, uh, you're not going here. You're not going there. You're not, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's a hard, hard balance to balance being a normal person and doing that job. And there were stuff. There were some stories coming out of uh, Idaho with that, uh, with those four college students that were murdered in the, in their room. And uh, the news had made a, um, had made mention that the crime scene was so horrific that these older senior seasoned police officers went in the crime scene and they were shocked. Mm. And these are guy, people who've been on the job for a long time, 20, 30 year coffers. And they go in there and even they're shocked. And this is the stuff that you have to absorb. And when you talk about these things, Julie, like you see these homicides, I'm going to, I got to go do this homicide. I got to go do this autopsy today. I'll, I'll meet back here for lunch. Okay. And then you go and, and all of a sudden, like your world is off center all of a sudden because <laughs> we're not built. Police officers are. <laughs> Nobody's built for this, but but police officers have to endure more emotional um, things than most people do. And mm-hmm. when you tell me about stuff like that, it makes me think that how much can you as a uh, how much can you absorb? How much can we absorb in a career? Yeah, and not be it's affected. A really good question. Yeah. How much can one person take? You know, it's. It's hard. And, uh, you know, you think about just like my partner in detectives, we talked about all the time, like you take just one thing in your career that was hard or that you've seen that was really hard. Just one of those. And most people in the private sector couldn't fathom going through that one thing Mm -hmm. in their entire life. We do it maybe five times a day, three times daily in and out, in and out year after year. And, you know, it's stuff that our human brain shouldn't have to try to comprehend evil like that, that, that we are reminded is out there day after day after day, and then try to go home and not, you know, over, you know, hold on to your kid too tight because you know all the evils that are out there. You know, I remember when my son was little, but, you know, kind of to the age where I don't want to go into the women's restroom with you anymore. I want to go in, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like he gets so mad at me because I'm like, I don't, are you done? (laughs) Because I, you know, of course he was like mortified, but I'm like, if there's some freaking pervert in there, yes. I, want you to know I am right here mm. because, you know, I've worked child sex crimes for years and, <laughs> and my son would always say, I, 
absolutely hate yeah. having a detective as a mother. Um, I'm laughing because I did that to my son at Disneyland. <laughs> he was taking too long. I was like, all these you guys that went in exactly. way after you came out way before he was going on. Exactly. And then I was oh, like, I went around the one. building. Is there another exit? That, you know? mm. Yeah. Yeah. Perverts love Disneyland. Exactly. <laughs> so well, we, I, we just, we begin to look at life differently than yeah, most yeah. people. That's why we sit in a restaurant. We have to see the door. It's like, we have to try to control our environment the best we can because we know the potential evil that's out there that yeah. most people don't even think about. Yep. Well, in, in, uh, this has been a quick two hours, uh, <laughs> but in closing, I want to, I want to, I ask you what your advice to police officers, and we bring this up every episode, but given 2020 and all these types of things where, where um, candidates are, when they say, I want to apply to a police department, they lose friends, they lose family, they lose, you know, they get, it's not something you can publicly go out and say, Hey, I'm going to be a cop. You just can't do it anymore. So what words of advice and words of, of wisdom would you, as a 25-year copper, say to anybody that still wants to join the police department today? Um, I think I would say, think about why. Why do you want to do it? And remember... just always remember that, you know, why, why do you want to do this? Is it, you know, maybe for some people it's a different answer, but, um, why you want to do it and then really try to educate yourself on, okay, this is why I want to do it. Educate yourself on the realities of it, like listening mm -hmm. to these on, okay. Um, do I think I could handle this? And if you think you can and go for it. I mean, you know, like I said, I have family members that are ignorant and think that we just go around beating people up. Apparently that's what they think. And, um, they don't want to, you're going to have to listen. You're going to have to be strong enough in your convictions on why you want to do this to handle that stuff. And, um, then go for it. If you can answer those questions and think, yeah, uh, this is why, if your why is because, yeah, I was bullied in high school and I want power and I want to pull people over and write tickets and ruin people's day. Well then, yeah, probably not the job for you. No. Um, you're not the right person for it. <laughs> you're not the right person. And please, please do not do it. Yes. Don't make everybody. Lose, but. <laughs> but if you're like, you know, I have a desire for what's right and for what's wrong. And I, no matter what people say, and I'm confident that when I take that oath, that I can keep it and I can make a difference no matter how hard it is, you're not going to regret it. Because even after, I, I can say personally, I'm sure you guys can too, mm -hmm. as hard as this job has been, I don't regret it for one second. Like, I am so glad that I did it. I did it scared. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the times, um, but I did it and I, I'm so thankful that I did. So if you can answer those questions and then go for it. Just 
just be educated going in and, and not be, you know, Oh, this sounds fun. It pays well, not the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Going in with good intention and not being naive about it. Yeah, just, yeah, exactly. I guess that's, that's what I was going for. Don't be naive. Just don't be naive. And don't, don't go into the, don't go into police work uh, for you. You know, it's a, it's a job. It's a career of service. It's sacrifice. Exactly. And don't, I want to be a hall monitor and yeah. yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Don't go into police work to become rich. Exactly. Exactly. My husband was military and, you know, he gets thank you for your service all the time, but yeah, you, don't be looking for that either. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. not going to get it. So, but uh, this, I'm sorry, was someone going to say something I've heard? Nope. Okay. Uh, this has yeah. been a great interview. Uh, I knew it. I knew this was going to be a good time. <laughs> And uh, and the the uh, the invites out, Minerva, Julie. Yes, yes, you know, yes. Julie says, "Come out." I'm gonna give it some time because I just went with two months ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we missed it. So, oh well, I'm not going anywhere. But I'll probably I'll probably uh, uh, get together with Donovan and Julie, and then we'll just tell you about it. We'll let you know how it went. Okay. Maybe I can, you guys can FaceTime me. I'll join you guys FaceTime. Yeah. FaceTime. But uh, Julie, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day to spend some time with us. And this is the whole, uh, I really think that this is really great that the, that the applicants that listen to the podcast know about FTO because they think, I, you know what, Minerva, we get this focus on, because I do police consultations, police background consultations. The focus is on getting hired and getting through the academy. Nobody right. ever asked about FTO. Right. Yeah. We want to hear your questions or, you know, well, we spoke to Ian, who is an officer up mm-hmm. in Bakersfield. You know, Central California. And uh, we talked to him right when he came out of the academy and then when he passed probation. So that was exciting. But, you know, send us your questions. Uh, what can we cover? You know, and it's not just the background process or the academy. Also, you know, if you're struggling with training, you know, can you were a training officer, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I went through it. I wasn't a training officer, but I certainly did have certain trainees write with me every once in a while, but we all went through it. Yeah. <laughs> so, through it. Uh, so we have that. some experience yeah. under our belts there. And, Julie, and I got to say, Julie, that female officer, I guarantee you when she retires, she's going to remember you. She's going to thank you Aww. for the, enti- the rest of her career. I hope so. You know, one of, one of them, a different student, but she made me when she, one of the huge, her husband does woodworking, huge blue line flags like you have in the background, yeah. but a really big one and, and wrote a really neat message on the back. That's awesome. It was really touching that, wow, like I put her through the ringer and she still likes me. That's really cool. <laughs> I think she realized yeah. that you did her, you know, yeah, you were hard, but yeah. it wasn't she's for no reason. She's, she's just amazing. I mean, all the guys are like, wow, like she's just so good. And I would like to think had a little part of that. I mean, she had a huge part to do with it, but mm-hmm. we did it together. Yeah. Julie, yeah. you'll get a kick out of, uh, out of this. Uh, Minerva was talking about Ian, a, a police officer in Bakersfield that we interviewed a few episodes back. And the, the thing about him was Ian applied he was number one in all the testing. He was the number one pick. He got in the academy the first day and quit because he was like, I, 
This is uh, this is not what I expected. He did not prepare himself for the academy yeah. experience, and so he spent what was it a year or something like that getting yes. his head together, and then he actually um, went back and applied and became a police officer. And he just he got off probation a few months ago. We interviewed him again, but that was one of those things where you need to be prepared for for the academy, yeah. everything, and um, be honest with yourself too honest with yourself exactly yes. which is why i took that part-time record filing position that everybody mm -hmm. told me i was crazy for i just wanted to engulf myself in the environment and kind of see for myself observe what they went through listen to the radio what are you know and it i'm like yeah i of course it fueled me even more i wanted to do it even more but yeah just don't go into it naive no yeah. that's very cool we just well, had to quit the academy because they were not prepared yeah, what what the heck? <laughs> and it's easy now. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. the gentleman, gentleman's academy. So, yep. But uh, yep. anyways, thank you so much. And uh, Minerva, you have anything else you want to add? Um, I just want to wish our listeners a Merry Christmas. This is going to air Christmas. the week before Christmas. If you celebrate, yeah. if not, happy holidays. I'll be politically correct. <laughs> happy holidays. <laughs> but, uh, and then, you know, I'm excited to be back. I feel like I've been gone for so long. So I'm actually happy and I'm glad that Julie was my first interview back. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yes. Julie, you have thank a great holiday that. season and thank you, thank you so much. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to the Police Applicant Podcast. We are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.